And this week, we're going to focus on the other side of it. How do I see other people in the same way God sees them? And it's a challenging thing to do. And I know you're probably thinking of that personally. How am I supposed to see this person the way God does? How am I supposed to have the patience to deal with this one person? Maybe you, you know, thought of who that is. And I ask that if they're in this room, you don't stare at them during the service. Makes things really awkward. Don't need to do that. But either way, it doesn't change the fact that it's really hard for us to be able to do this. So we're going to look into this today, and uh, the title of this message is uh, Our Savior's Footsteps. Uh, that'll make a little bit more sense as we get into it, so let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much just uh, for this opportunity we have to jump into your word and what it is that you have for us, God. We have so much going on in our life. I pray that you would help us to just set aside all of our distractions. Help us, God, to just take this time fully devoted to you, that we would be focused on you and what it is that you have for us. Pray, God, that you would speak through me and I wouldn't get in your way. And I thank you for what it is that you have for us. And I pray that you'd have, that we would have open hearts and open minds this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said last week, we uh, went over, uh, who am I? And we jumped into Exodus when Moses asked that question when God gave him a call. And Moses said, who am I to do this? Um, where instead today, as I said, our message is called uh, Our Savior's Footsteps. Um, and on that, I also want to welcome our online campus. I'm so happy that uh, you could join us as well. Um, and I want everyone to do me a favor real quick. I need everyone to get a little creative, you know, use your imagination. I need you to picture that it is a fluffy, white, snowy day. All right? I know a lot of you probably just tuned me out. I know it's July. I'm asking that you just bear with me. Picture it's a, a fluffy, white, snowy day, and you're a kid, and you love it. But it's a, it's a good snowy day, though. I'm not saying like a cute couple of inches. I'm saying like school is just canceled for the week. Like, we're, we're living life right now, and we want to go sledding. Now, you're a kid, you want to go sledding. So say you have a parent or a relative or maybe an older sibling. They go, they walk you out, they take you out. Now, as a kid, what is something that is so frustrating to do? The moment you step out of that house and there's a foot of snow on the ground, just trying to walk in it. You know, with your short little legs, trying to walk your way over. To, like, I feel that same way as a 20-year-old. I'm, I'm a pretty short guy, and I, I go to school up in Scranton, and my school's, like, on the top of a mountain. So when we got, like, two feet of snow on the ground, feel like it takes me 30 minutes to get to class when it's a five-minute walk. It's not easy to do. So it's hard to take those steps when the snow's really thick as a kid. But what do you like to do when you have that person in front of you and they're walking? I like to try to step in their footprints, right? Try to follow their steps. But it's a really frustrating thing to do because you have short legs and they don't. It always seems like the person in front of you is 6'5", and their strides are super long, as if they're equal three of yours. It's super hard to do. With today, as I said, maybe the title of this message makes a little bit more sense now, Our Savior's Footsteps. We want to follow in his footsteps. So truth is, if I really wanted to, I could preach the same message I did last week this week. Because nothing changes. I mean, last week I, we talked about how God sees you. You know, you are someone that God sees that he loves so much. He sees you as someone who's not defined by your sin. 
He sees you as someone who's not alone, someone who's uniquely designed by him that has purpose, someone who is loved, and he sees as worth it. Nothing changes when it comes to how we need to see other people because God sees us in that way. He sees them in that way too, so we need to see them in that way also. I could say the same thing this week. Obviously, I'm not gonna do that. But the question we ask is how? How am I supposed to do that? Because it's not an easy thing to do. We're playing a different game now in terms of how we see other people. Best thing we can do is as we look throughout scripture, we can look at Jesus' interactions with people. I mean, he met with a lot of different people. And what we can do is we can analyze the example that he left us when he interacted with them. And that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna follow in his footsteps. We're gonna go over four different interactions that he had with people. Obviously, he had a lot more. We're gonna look at four different times where he interacted with different people and what it was he did and how we can follow that example. As I said, though, keep in mind, when you're following those footprints in the snow, it's really hard because they're so far apart from each other. You really have to extend yourself with your short little legs, you know? This is the same thing. If we really want to follow Jesus in his footsteps, we're really gonna have to stretch ourselves here. This isn't an easy thing to do. And I'll, I'll keep saying this throughout the entirety of this message. It's a choice you have to make. It is your choice to go on this path and to follow his footsteps. So as I said, we're gonna look at his interactions and how he saw people. So then as we look at them, we'll be able to see people in the same way he did. First interactions in Matthew chapter nine. Uh, in Matthew 9, starting at verse 9, we see uh, this is a passage where he calls on Matthew. Uh, Matthew, who is a tax collector. And uh, Jesus comes up and he says this in verse 9. He says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So the first thing we need to understand as we look at this passage, the significance of the people that, we see throughout this passage. We see that there are tax collectors that are mentioned. And Matthew is a tax collector. It's important to know that during this time, tax collectors were hated people. They were viewed as traitors because they were Jewish tax collectors who collected money from their people on behalf of the Roman Empire. And they were also looked at as unjust because you know they tried to make a little bit money on it for themselves. They were looked at as traitors and same thing goes for the sinners that is mentioned. And it's interesting how he says, like we're not specified on who these people are. It just says Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Now that's not to say that you know, some people were sinners and some people weren't. That's not what he's saying. Everyone's a sinner. What he's saying is these specific people, there's a correlation there since they're used with the tax collectors is that these people were cast out by society, just like the tax collectors were. They were judged heavily for whatever it is that they did. All right, They uh, were judged outwardly. However, we don't see that from Jesus. Jesus is just chilling with them. He's hanging out. They're having dinner, probably eating like pizza rolls or something, talking about football. 
Like, they're just, they're just chilling. And the Pharisees come up and they question the disciples. They're like, why would your teacher hang out with those people? And Jesus does the normal Jesus thing and shuts them up in the following verses. The point here in this interaction is that Jesus chose to invite. He chose to have open arms with people. And that's not what the Pharisees did here. Instead, they were so quick to cast judgment on these people. And we are very quick to do the same thing, judging people by their looks, what they look like, where they're from, their past mistakes, and what they've done. Maybe their friend group, whoever it is. Or maybe sometimes we look at people based on what other people say about them. So I know, for instances for me, um, throughout high school and also in college, that I'll have a class where I've never seen, I've never heard, I've never had the professor before. But I'll have friends who have. So then they'll tell me like, oh, you're in for a treat. You know, you don't know what to expect. I'm going to tell you. And they, t- they just, they slam the person. They're like, can't stand this person. They're going to be so annoying giving you a warning about this. And it's so easy for me to walk into that class now with that preset as my opinion. That's how, okay, that's how I view this professor now. Instead of walking in there with an open mind saying, I'm going to make my own opinion. I know you may not have had a good interaction with them, but I can't let that be my preset. We do that to people all the time. And just so you know, what I just explained, that's called gossip. It's called talking about people, and you can see how dangerous that is. It could be deadly, because it distorts your view of how you see other people in your life. Where instead, when we see Jesus here, he didn't do that. It would have been easy for him to look at Matthew the same way everyone else did. He's just another tax collector, just another trader. That's how everyone else saw him. That's not how Jesus saw him, though. Jesus wanted him to be a disciple, one of the 12 to follow him. We, we need to stop being so judgmental outwardly and have open arms like Jesus did as he had with Matthew. What we need to do is we need to stop staying within our own holy huddles and our little cliques where instead we need to have open arms to everybody, not be so quick to judge. And it's a hard thing to do because it's something we're so used to doing. But that's the question we have to ask ourselves. How, how is it that we can do that for other people? What does that look like in your life? Who is it in your life that you can invite and bring in? Maybe that person that you feel like just doesn't get a lot of attention. Maybe someone who's really heavily judged in a workplace or bullied in your school or wherever it may be. Someone who's looked down upon because of their past and the things that they've done. Whoever, whoever that may be, how is it that you can show them love? You could welcome them in, that you can walk up to them and you can have a conversation with them when no one else will. That's what Jesus was willing to do here. He chose to invite, and we need to choose to do the same thing. And then moving on, this next interaction I'll look at is in John 11. Um, in this, you may be familiar with the story, or not, that's fine. It's the, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave, and if you don't know this story, I'm, I'm really sorry. I just pretty much spoiled it for you. Um, Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave. Um, in this time, though, so we're going to be starting at verse 33. But leading up to that, there are these three people, Mary, Martha, 
and Lazarus, siblings of each other, people that Jesus deeply loved. And a word is sent out to Jesus, say, hey, Lazarus is really, really, really sick. So Jesus makes the decision, all right, I'm going to go see my bro in a couple of days. And I head out, tells his disciples that, like, hey, we're going to go on this road trip, see our friend Lazarus. And they have this whole interaction with each other on whether or not it's a good idea or not, if this is a safe trip. And Jesus pretty much tells them, like, no, we're going to do this. He says, specifically in verse 11, so our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Do you know a person in your life who's super oblivious? They don't understand the concept of a joke. Just like anything you say, like you just try to make a joke and right over their head. Maybe you are thinking of that exact person right now. I feel like this is disciples in this moment. He's just like, Jesus tried to say something pretty cool, right? I mean, that's that's a solid statement right there. He's like, you know, Lazarus is sleeping. I'm gonna go wake him up though. And the disciples were like, if he's sleeping, he'll be fine. He'll, just, he'll get better. And Jesus just tried to have this mic drop moment, and I could just picture him like, he's dead. That's, like, that's what he meant. That's all it was. He was like, you know what? Fine. We're just going to go. We're going to go, and we're going to see him, and you'll see what's about to happen. So they go. They go on this trip, and once they're uh, in viewing distance, Martha sees Jesus. Martha goes, and she runs to Jesus. And she says, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus uh, comforts her. He says, your brother will rise again. He also says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes. She goes and she runs to Mary. She tells Mary, Jesus is here. Mary picks herself up. She goes, she runs to Jesus. She falls on her knees and says the same thing. If you were here, my brother would not have died. But this time, we, just, we see her destroyed. She's weeping. And it says this in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And it's a very powerful one. Because we know as we read throughout scripture, Jesus is 100% God. This helps us to understand he's also 100% human. We see his heart. It hurt him to see them hurting. The point here in this interaction is that Jesus chose to grieve. Jesus chose to grieve with those who were hurting. We see in this story the compassion that he has for these people, to see people that he cares about so much, Mary and Martha and all the, the rest of the Jews, that they're destroyed because Lazarus is dead. And it says, Jesus, he's deeply moved 
he's troubled at this sight. We need to follow in his footsteps. As he chose to grieve with those who were grieving, we also need to do that same thing. And it's a hard thing to understand. What does it exactly look like to grieve with somebody? What it looks like is it hurts you. Your heart hurts to see them going through a rough time, to see those who it seems like they just can never catch a break, and they're hurting. It hurts you, and you don't understand how powerful it is until someone grieves with you. I know for me this past spring, um, there was this one day uh, when I was at school, there's, it was really bad, really rough day, so much happened. So much is going on, I was a mental mess. And I have this friend, his name's Hunter. Uh, he came into my room, he, he shut the door, and he knows me well, he could read me well, he knew something was up. Uh, he knows the entirety of the situation. He asked me, he was like, hey, what's going on? So I explained everything to him, trying my, my best to hold back tears, not doing that good of a job. And he hit me with the, the punch of a question, how are you doing? And I couldn't help but just sink my head, and I just cried, and I was destroyed. First thing he does is he comes over to me, picks me up from where I was sitting, and gives me a hug. And next thing I know, he's crying on my shoulder. So moved in that moment. He didn't act like he had the words to say. He didn't act like he had the answer. He even told me that. I, I really don't know what to say. I can't relate to you. I, I don't understand what it is you're going through, but it just it hurts me. And in that moment, it felt like I was cared for. And that some, even though he didn't relate to me, it felt like he understood me. I really hope you have someone like that in your life. Someone that you know that you can run up to without context, just give them a hug and just have a shoulder to cry on. Because once someone does that for you, you understand how powerful it is and it moves you to do the same thing for someone else. And then you really understand this moment that Jesus is in, he weeped for these people because it hurt him to see them hurting. What blows my mind though, as far as this passage goes, is that as I said, I already spoiled the ending. Lazarus rises up. Jesus raises him up. But that's the thing. Within the next couple minutes, Lazarus is literally going to be walking out of the tomb. Jesus knew how the story ended. He knew there was a happy ending. He could have told Mary and Martha, he was like, yeah, I know you're really upset. I know you're crying. I know you're weeping, but it's okay. Like, you don't know that, like, for us, we're, we're about to see him perform one of the greatest miracles we see in Scripture. Even though he knew how the story ended and what he was about to do, it still hurt him. It still hurt him to see them weeping. And let me go as far to say is that the challenge is that you can't only feel this compassion for those you like has to be those you also don't really like. Yeah, it's a reflection we need to have in our own heart to be hurting whenever you see other people hurting. It doesn't matter who it is. It goes back to the, the open invite I mentioned before. 
having open arms, having that open invite for everyone. doesn't matter what your relationship is with them or even if you know who they are. That's to grieve with others because that's what Jesus did in this moment. And then another one, uh, a couple uh, pages after that, in John 13, uh, another interaction we see is that Jesus, he's washing the disciples' feet. And he understands that this is leading into the Last Supper, and his hour has almost come. You know, it's almost come where he is going to be betrayed, and he is going to be crucified. So he knows this, and it says in verse 4, John 13, so he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So he knows his hour is coming up. He knows he's about to be betrayed. His response is he's going to lower himself and wash the disciples' feet in this moment. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus goes, and he washes their feet. We see the disciples are really confused. Like, why are you doing this? Who are you to wash our feet? If anything, it should be the other way around. Like, we should be coming to you. They don't understand, but in the couple verses, Jesus explains to him exactly what he was doing. In verse 12, he says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This one is just straight to the point. Jesus chose to serve. It's how he saw people. He chose to humble himself and to lower himself and to serve those who were around him. We're talking about Jesus, the son of God, the one who lived a perfect life, who was willing to lower himself and do this dirty task of washing their feet. We have to understand that they, the disciples weren't walking around in the, the freshest pair of Adidas shoes. Like, this was a dirty task that they had to do. And Jesus lowered himself to wash their feet. It was like, it was like an honor for him to be able to serve them. And he said, this is the example I am setting and you need to follow it. If we want to see other people in the same way Jesus sees them, we need to serve one another. We need to humble ourselves. In uh, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If you want to serve one another, you have to look at the other person's needs and wants before you look at yours. You have to have other people's interests in mind before you keep yours in mind. You have to lower yourself. It says not to be selfish, to not be conceited in this moment, but to focus on others. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. So the service you are doing, have the mindset and the heart that you were serving God. Because right, God has called us to serve. 
So when we go out and we serve and we're serving other people, we're obeying him. We're serving him. Have that mindset in that heart because when you think to yourself that you're gonna go out and serve, it helps you to understand that you're really serving God in that moment. And it gives you all the motivation you need after that to continue to serve. What you need to do is you need to lower yourself and understand that this isn't a knowledge call. It's an action call. It doesn't matter if you know about humility. It doesn't matter if you know about serving others. It doesn't matter if you know about unselfishness. This is something you have to show, that you have to demonstrate. Humility is shown. Unselfishness is shown. And same with being a servant. Jesus chose to serve, and we need to do that same thing. That's how he saw people. And then in this last passage in Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 32, leading up to this verse is when Jesus' hour has come. He was betrayed, he was arrested, he was brought before Pilate and Herod, he was whipped, he was mocked, a crown of thorns was put on his head, and he carried his cross. We find ourselves, Luke 23, verse 32, it says two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they, meanwhile, as he says this, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The point here, Jesus chose to love and forgive. And not only love and forgive, but love and forgive those who wronged him. I would say it's safe to say this is the hardest one. To love and forgive people who have come against you and have wronged you in your life. Jesus is saying these words as he's hanging on a cross to the very soldiers that put him up there. We have to love and forgive if we're gonna follow Jesus. And as I said, it's a hard thing to do. But how, how do we expect to do that? Maybe you're asking that question. Why should I love and forgive these people? Why should I love and forgive the person who called me worthless, that said I don't belong here, that say I have no place being here? Why should I love and forgive the person who physically, mentally, or emotionally abused me? Why should I love and forgive the person who manipulated me and took advantage of me? Why should I love and forgive the person who came against my people and hurt my people and my family and my friends? Why should I love and forgive the person who walked out on me, someone I thought I could trust? Why should I love and forgive these people in my life? I don't know what that looks like for you, but let me ask a better question. Why should God love and forgive you? Why should he love and forgive me? I mean, we're all in this. We're the sinners. We're the ones who fall short every single day. We're the ones who turn our back against God, who run away from God, who disobey God, and sometimes even shake our fist at God as if he doesn't know what he's doing. Who are we to do that? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short to the glory of God. We have all missed the mark. We have all missed the standard. But then later on in Romans 5.8 says, for God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he loves us. When Jesus thought of us, the very people who run away from him, 
who turn our backs against him, who are unfaithful, who do our own thing, live our own life, do as we please, when he thought of us and the cross, saw people worth dying for. We're the ones that have wronged him. That's how much he loves us, and that's the forgiveness he offers us. Who are we to do different for other people who've come against us when we're sinners ourselves, when we've missed the mark ourselves? It's not an easy thing to do, but it's really humbling when we think of the fact that Jesus said those words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing, while hanging on a cross to the very soldiers who were mocking him for who he was. Who are we to do different? We're called to love and forgive. As I said in the beginning, it's not easy to see other people in the same way God sees them. We see throughout these interactions that um, there's something we can take away from each of, each of them. It's that Jesus, Jesus chose to invite and he chose to have open arms. Jesus chose to grieve with those who were grieving. Jesus chose to serve other people and lower himself, and he chose to love and forgive people. As I said in the begin, uh, a little earlier, like this is not a knowledge call. It's an action call. This is something you have to do and demonstrate yourself. And it takes a reflection of your heart. Where is your heart at? And to finish, I just want to show you this. So picture this. Look at these. Now, another thing I want to say before I go on, I said this last week, I'll say it again. With this series, God's glasses, I am not implying that God wears glasses. So please know that. Let's just say, hypothetically speaking, these are God's glasses, all right? When you put them on, you see yourself and you see other people in the same way God does. I cannot pick these up and put them on you. The other people in this room cannot pick these up and put them on you. You have to make the choice to put them on. It's a choice you have to make. If you want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, that's the path you have to choose if you want to follow in his footsteps. It's not easy because you look at them and you're like, how am I supposed to do that? It's such a hard thing to do. Who am I to do that? But if you remember from last week, when Moses asked God, who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I to go to Egypt and to deliver the Israelites out of captivity? If you remember God's response, it says, I will be with you. If that's the decision you want to make today, and you want to see things the way God does, go to him and ask him to help you. Because God is telling you, I will be with you. Truth is, you can't put them on your own. It's not going to happen. You need to rely on God. You need to rely on his strength and on his wisdom, and he'll get you there. He's not going to leave you off or dry. He's right there with you. And when we put these glasses on and we start seeing things the way he does, we're able to follow him in our own faith, wherever it is we're at, and we're able to take those steps, you know, just step by step. But the hard thing is, is that when you're following someone in the snow, when you have to stretch yourself out, it seems like they're going so much faster and like you're just lagging behind. When you're following Jesus, he's staying there, right there with you. He's not, he's not walking away from you. He's right there with you every step of the way. And he's gonna help you take those steps. You're not gonna take those steps on your own. And then once you start taking those steps, 
you'll be able to see yourself and other people in the same way God does. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you. Just, I thank you for this time that you gave us to look at your word. It's not easy to see things through your lens and your perspective. But just because it's not easy doesn't mean that's an excuse for us not to. I pray, God, that you would help us to be able to see things in the same exact way you do. It's a challenge. But I thank you that you don't leave us to do it by ourselves. I pray that you would help us. Whether if it's an identity issue, we're really having a hard time seeing ourselves in the way you do, or if it's the issue of just how we look at other people. I pray that you'd help us to be able to see things in the same way you do. And I thank you, God, ultimately that you love us so much and that we have the ability to do this and follow in your footsteps. I pray that you'd help us to do this, Lord. We thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.